this is the quote for the day here. Um, and my mother-in-law, Sally, will, will recognize this because you sent it to me today or yesterday. Beth Moore quote. Yeah, I loved it, and I put it on here. Churches have doors not only for the world to come in, but also for the church to go out. Let me say that again. Churches have doors not only for the world to come in, but also for the church to go out. Simple, but so profound and true and so much needed um, in our day and age where sometimes we can get so ingrown, right, as, as God's people and kind of, you know, uh, just... Um, yeah, we don't, we're not looking for a bless me club, right? We're looking for let's get filled up, let's get recharged, and let's go out and, be a, and have an impact on our community and the world. And so when we're talking about cali- recalibration and restructuring and pastor's vision for that, and as, as I've worked with him on some of that, I, um, we, don't want, we don't want to communicate. We're careful not to communicate the wrong message with all of this because we've talked a little bit about with some of our core leaders who are in here t- tonight, you might... Uh, recognize some of these terms we've used, but we want to close the back door of the church. We want to be a sticky church. We're calling it a sticky church. People stick, stay. And, and so we're not saying, you know, we just want to close the back door so no one can get out there. No, we're still into releasing, right? Releasing into ministry and getting out there. Um, but, but we want people to stay long enough to become fully functioning members of the body of Christ and so that we can go out and impact our community and our world. And it takes time. It's a process, right? Discipleship and learning and growing. And then we come back and get retrained, refilled, recharged, a new vision and, and all of that. So that's what uh, this whole season we're in kind of just this quote reminded me of that. Churches have doors not only for the world to come in, but also for the church to go out. And with that, it takes a vision for what God can do in a life. We need to be a people who have a vision for what God can do in a life. And oftentimes we get sidetracked, and and I know personally I can get sidetracked with uh, kind of with my administrative leanings to be just deep in the paperwork and all of that. And I forget that God loves people. God wants me to be part of someone's life. Uh, am I aware of that? What can I do? Uh, I, had, I have to have a vision for what God can do in a person's life, what God wants to do through me and through you. Um, Paul had a vision of what people could become. He had a vision because he, he himself was transformed, uh, arrested by Jesus on the road to Damascus, uh, incredible transformation in his life. Um, and that vision that he had, it defined his ministry, defined how he went about ministry. And we're all ministers. Can everybody agree with me here? We are all ministers of the gospel. And, and so we need a vision to define that ministry. Paul kept that vision before him all the time. And we see throughout the, 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 his writings that vision is just constantly being expressed. Uh, and he expressed it in, a, in powerful ministry, right? He really powerful, powerful ministry and suffering along with it. We can't forget that piece. Powerful ministry may be a call to greater suffering as well. And uh, often I think in, in our culture, uh, we forget that piece. So Paul had an incredible vision for ministry. So let's read a little bit about what that vision is. This is a, this is a passage that really touches on some of his vision um, for what Christ can do in a life and what our part 
in that is. So Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. Let's read together. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become right with him. Um, I missed my spot here. We might become the righteousness of God. Okay. Um, I, don't, I think I'm going to stop there on that. But let's, let's just kind of look at what Paul is saying here. Um, We've been committed a message. It's a message of reconciliation. And it's how effective we are in communicating that message it depends on how we approach people and what our vision for, for people is, how, how we approach other people. Have you ever misjudged somebody? I know nobody in here ever has, right? <laughs> I know I'm guilty of, of having misjudged people in my life, um, and I've written them off before ever giving them a chance. And I think at one point or another, we've all done that. Um, and for me personally, because of so many transitions that me and my family have taken and so many different being, being kind of plopped down into new contexts and new situations, um, I've often been the new person coming in. And I've felt the sting of how others regarded me or misjudged me. And it felt unjust. And it was a huge barrier to relationship. Maybe you've been in a situation like that where you felt misjudged. You felt uh, like uh, someone un unjustly just or pre kind of pre made that prejudgment, and and that that door to relationship was shut off. So, but on the other side, I've also been the one judging others before giving them a chance, and as a result, I've missed opportunities to partner with God in His redemptive plan for my life. So on the flip side, we, we can do that. We've, we've all been there at, at, at some point in our lives where we've misjudged somebody or we've, or we've, or we've uh, judged others before giving them a chance and, and missed an opportunity. So as quickly as God can open a door, we can, by our own choices, close that door. Do you agree with me? He may find someone else to do it, he may not, but as quickly as he opens a door, we can, by our own choices, close that door to relationships. So it's super important on how we, how we approach this, this, this relationship piece with people. Um, if we want to be a people that are, are, are ready to be his ambassadors at any given time in our, in our lives. So on the... On, uh, 
on the other hand, I think this question is in your handout. Um, and by the way, this handout, you could take it, at, you know, I just kind of put it together, but you, you could maybe, if you wanted to, take it in your morning devotional time and spend some more time reflo- reflecting on it. But um, how have you been impacted when someone truly believed in you and your potential? Anybody want to just share? How, how has that impacted you when someone came along who truly believed in your full potential? Good? <laughs> yeah, right. It produces uh, faith, yeah, confidence, rise up, yeah. Hmm? Yeah, you're encouraged, you're encouraged, yeah. Anything else? Someone's truly believed in you. How did that feel? What did it, maybe how did it cause you to respond? How about when someone did not express belief or, or uh, in you and didn't believe that you had potential and communicated those things to you? How did that make you feel? Pretty discouraged, right? Yeah, pretty discouraged. Can closes that door to relationship. It's it's probably not going to go very far, but down unless uh, there's a big change there. So I've learned that God gives everybody a chance, doesn't he? He's a God of second chances. We've all heard that before. He gives people multiple multiple chances. I'm thankful that God gave me many chances, and He still does, and many opportunities to to come alongside Him even in my failures. Um, and to experience his life transformation. So Paul said this, he said, from now on, we regard nobody, no one from a worldly point of view. What do you think he means by that? We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Amen. Thanks, Steve, for sharing that. Yeah, that is that when when we see people as Christ sees them or as God sees them, we we have to regard them from something other than a worldly point of view because he sees the eternal significance and the value and the worth in that person. And so Paul is saying, I don't regard anybody from a worldly point of view. And sometimes that's hard to do, right? It's easy to, to slip into a, a fleshly mode, a worldly thinking, um, maybe because of a history with somebody or, or just a, somebody's culture and religion, race, whatever it might be, we have, those, we have those barriers. And so it can be easy to slip into that mode of, uh, you know, you know not, not seeing what, what I could see with eyes of the Spirit into that person's life, right? With eyes of the Spirit. And God wants to give each one of us eyes of the Spirit to see the potential, see the full potential. And so Paul said, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Why did he say that? He's saying Christ died and death, and a death has taken place in me also. A death to myself and a, and a new life raised in him. Paul is saying, I've seen what God can do, experienced it firsthand, and that changes everything. It changes the way I see myself. 
and it changes how I see others. How do you see people? A little scale on your handout there. On a scale between hopeless and unlimited potential, what do you see? Where would you put yourself tonight on that scale? And it may be different for different people in your life. Uh, you know, sometimes it's easy to hope for someone we haven't had relationship with, right? Because not all the baggage and the history is there. And let's be honest, it's sometimes harder to hope. God wants to renew our hope tonight. And even this, the, 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 the situations and relationships that seem incredibly hopeless, God wants to renew in us a hope, an optimism that he can do it, that he can do anything. He can transform that life. What are you looking at to come to your conclusions about people? What are you seeing? What to base that judgment to? What kind of external things are you looking at rather than the eternal, the, 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 the treasure that is there underneath, that seed that is there ready to be, ready to be, um, ready to grow, ready to be watered a little bit, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's still in its infancy stages, but there's potential there. There's potential in that relationship. It's untapped potential that we need to see through, through eyes of the Spirit, as just like Paul said, so that we don't regard people from a worldly perspective. We see people through his eyes. I had a challenge with this, and I think that my wife would agree. Um, it's di different times in our lives, uh, being in, living in a different culture, um, and a very, very different culture in many ways, opposite of everything we knew, right? Tajikistan, Muslim culture, Turkey, Muslim culture, very different. Um, but in the early days, when we first um, um, began our lives in, in Tajikistan, this was in the late 90s, um, we, I had issues with, with people. As I began to rub shoulders with people, as I began to experience the culture, and it was super broken, the whole infrastructure was just completely broken. Uh, it came, broke off of the former Soviet Union. It was in civil war, trying to discover uh, new leadership and there was fighting going on. There was uh, no, the, the, the supply chain from M Moscow had been cut off, so there was nothing coming in. People could not even, you know, find bread and milk at times, just the basics. So there was a lot of that, but, but through, as this brand new fledgling country developed, it, it was just, scar it was scarred in so many ways, and there was so much corruption. And the system was corrupted. That never happens here, right? America doesn't have a corrupted system, right? No, this, we have corruption too. But that system was super corrupted. Checks and balances were all out. I mean, it was, it was bad. And, and so I began to put that off on people and begin to judge people by that. Whereas there, it was a system that was corrupted, but I began to see people, everyone has corrupted themselves. And so the people simply were adapting to a broken system. They, they had to adapt to a very broken system in order to survive. But I began to see everyone as the problem rather than an opportunity for transformation. I saw people as wanting something from me. 
a, a, a visa out of the country so they could go to the land of the free and live in America. They thought I was somehow their ticket for that. Little did they know I could do nothing about that. <laughs> How many times have we, we were asked for money to be able to, to, to get something? And, and just, so I began to see people, uh, because of course they saw us as the rich Americans. And so I began to see people as always wanting something from me, a visa, money, etc. Um, uh, just a couple examples of this. I, the policemen, the policemen on the street were every man, probably every mile you'd come across four policemen on the side of the road. They were called the traffic police, and they had their, but they had, they were fully armed. They had their machine guns and everything, and so you would get stopped all the time. And we would get stopped all the time, especially because we were foreigners, and we had license plates that identified us as foreigners, and uh, and so they knew we were coming down the road. They could see our yellow license plate as opposed to the white ones that all the locals had. So we were always getting stopped. I was always getting stopped, and every encounter just was this dread came upon me. I just oh, another encounter with a with a traffic police, and it was usually. Um, on the best encounter, it was just that they wanted to, they were bored and they wanted to chat. But on some of the worst encounters, it was like, you made, you did this, you did that. They were accusing me of these, of, of running lights and doing things I never did. Um, and so it was, it was very, they were threatening me, they were accusing me of take, they were, you know, threatened to take away my, to impound my vehicle, to take my keys away, to take my license away. All these things, threats, 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 all the time. They're really looking for bribes. So I, dealt, I had that all, constantly, all the time. So what my, my, uh, my ap approach began to get angry or frustrated. So our reactions you know, to these situations, uh, you know, and my reaction was angry and I, turned, I, I, I made it worse because I became angry with them, thinking that I could somehow change their, their approach, but I couldn't. Um, but when God began to work in my life and to show me that these were people that had adapted to a broken system and were really, really, they were in need of a savior and they were in need of him and they were in need of a relationship, I began to carve out a little more time for those, some of those encounters and actually have a conversation with them, maybe ask them about their family, um, their, their, you know, uh, something about their, their lives. Um, their health, that is a big thing over there. How's your health? How's your children? How's your family? You, you go through this whole list of things. And so I began to do that. One time, by the way, some of you, fam you're familiar with the Samaritan purse boxes because we do that here. We received container loads of those. And I, was, I had delivered a bunch of Samaritan uh, purse, Samaritan's purse uh, boxes to a church. And I was coming back uh, to, I was driving somewhere and I had a few left in my trunk. And this policeman stopped me, and we got to talking. Gift giving is a big thing there. So I, I just felt a nudge to give him this gift of Samaritan's purse. I found out in conversation that he had kids. So I gave him a couple of Samaritan purse boxes. And that uh, opened a door for me and my friend to get invited over to his home. And if I had not given that gift and taken that time for that person, that door would have never opened. And so we began, uh, first time a Christian had ever probably been in his home, we had that opportunity because 
God allowed me to see that time, uh, taking time, being patient is time well spent and investing in people's lives. So sometimes we just got to slow down, right, and, uh, and, and, and see what is it God wants to do in terms of how, how he wants us to invest in that relationship. Um, and then there, you know, but we had a lot of situations like this where people would come at just any time. The door had to, culturally, the door of your home basically had to always be open, the big welcome sign. We didn't have a welcome sign, but basically that, that, that was the unspoken rule, like your, your home was an open door. So people would show up any time for anything and everything. So um, not, never an inconvenience, right, Eve? <laughs> so she stopped and served a lot of tea when she was trying to put kids down for naps or doing different things, you know. So um, just, just some things that God taught us along the way about how we can partner with him through distractions and conveniences, uh, people who come off in uh, a way that's, that could really rub us wrong, and finding a way to, to approach that as an opportunity. So I was approaching people... Um, because God, you know, God wants to transform lives. That's what it's about. He wants to transform lives, individual lives. And it's, we can't see, I couldn't see a whole nation transformed all at once. And, and I kind of came with that big vision. Let's see Tajikistan transformed. And, and I still have that vision. I still want to see that country transformed. But it starts with individual lives, just like it does here. And those lives, as one by one, that corporately they become salt and light, they transform communities. And that's what God is doing with us. One by one, salt and light dispersed is going to transform communities, counties, whole nations. And I believe that. And I, I, it's just a matter of getting our eyes onto the things that he wants us to put them on, um, seeing with eyes of the Spirit. You know, I was living for myself in the beginning. You know, I was living for myself in terms of those relationships. Um, but, and the end result was that I missed out on, on an assignment. Cole, uh, Pastor Cole talked about an ass our assignment and how we answer the call, right? I, I missed out on some of those assignments from God because I rejected the call. And so uh, I don't want to reject those calls, when, when, they come, when God comes prompting on my heart, when God comes speaking to me about something that, like that. Um, so how do we know when we're falling back into regarding people from a worldly view? How do we know that? A few things here that, that came up, and maybe other things would come up in your mind, but here's a few things that signal to me that I'm drifting back into this worldly perspective in terms of my approach to people. I rush past rather than acknowledge them. I use them rather than resource them. We can resource people. We have the greatest treasure that's ever, that, ever known to man, right? We have, we can resource people. We, I, sometimes I'll take rather than give. And, and so these are the things I found myself doing. We talk and rarely listen well. We ignore needs rather than meet them. We underestimate someone's worth or value. We fail to see their true identity. What are some other ways that you find yourself 
drifting into this kind of worldly perspective when it comes to seeing people. What are some other ways that you have experienced that or what's gone on in your heart and mind during those times? You find yourself kind of sliding back into that. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah? Yeah, okay, resent, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, okay, mm-hmm, yeah, look at my watch, mm. okay, yeah, resent, <laughs> good, yeah, well, how is it that we relate to Christ, um, so it really all comes down to how we relate to him, it all starts there, so what is your vision of Christ, and Paul said, we once regarded Christ in this way, speaking of this worldly perspective, right? Paul said, we once regarded him that way, but no lo- we no longer do. And so he goes back to Christ and thinks about, I can just think, I can just picture Paul thinking back about how he regarded Christ, right? Before his conversion. As a, as a self-proclaimed prophet who was disrupting the religious system of the day, uh, causing turmoil and, and, and probably hints of jealousy because the crowds follow him, whatever. But how, whatever feelings and emotions were going on in Paul, it was a worldly perspective, and he, he, he claimed it as a religious perspective, right? How many of you know religious perspective is often just translates into worldly perspective. It's just another form of worldly perspective. So Paul, Paul thinks he's on a, on a great, you know, God-worthy mission here, and yet he's regarding Christ from a worldly perspective. And uh, he said, I do so no longer because his life was transformed, because Jesus, he met Jesus on the Damascus, Damascus Road and his life was forever changed. If anyone ever regarded Jesus according to the flesh, it was Paul. And what changed? He came face to face with his Lord and Savior. He experienced forgiveness and freedom for the first time. And he said, I'm never going back. I'm never going to see myself. I'm never going to see Christ. I'm never going to see myself differently uh, or the same. I'm never going to see Christ the same. I'm never going to see him. I, I'm always going to see him from a heavenly perspective. What happened when the even when the people when the, and the religious leaders um, viewed Christ from a worldly perspective? So we talked about Paul, but what about just the people in general and and the religious leaders of the day? A few things here: they nullified the word of God in their own lives, and they erected barriers in the lives of others. See, when we begin to sh- drift back into seeing Christ as a mere maybe in, in religious figure or um, we just we lose sight of who he is. Um, we nullify the word of God in our lives and its power to impact our lives. And we erect barriers, just like the Pharisees did, put up barriers in people's lives to prevent them from coming to Christ. Uh, we make false judgments about people. And we can contribute to a worldly, unbelieving atmosphere, just like the people did. Listen to this from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. So Jesus left there, went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. 
And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him, who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Interesting how the whole atmosphere can change when we start ask when we start asking the wrong questions. At first it seemed like they're going down the right path. They're asking, Who is this? Incredible things are happening. And then they took offense. And it's easy to go down that trail. You know, I go back to that the example of the policeman stopping me when um when we begin to view people differently and we approach our relationships differently, everything can change. Walls come down, hearts begin to soften. But it takes, it takes a lot of diff- it takes patience, right? It takes uh, vulnerability, uh, it takes prayer and intercession. It takes cultural awareness. Sometimes people think, well, only the missionary needs cultural awareness. But we all need cultural re- awareness because every, there's, Culture invades everything, right? Culture invades our homes. We have a home culture. We have work culture. We have uh, people's backgrounds and what culture they're from. Our culture is constantly shifting and changing. So we need a cultural awareness of people um, and a sensitivity to where they're coming from. And God wants to speak that in that moment to us. It's not like we need to go to, you know, cultural awareness 101 and yeah, I love to read. I love to learn about cultures. But, but really, God wants to speak to us in that moment. Give us, give us wisdom. Give us the word for that moment, that awareness of what that person needs. So an awareness, uh, just, just being available. God has committed to us a ministry and a message of reconciliation. Um, I think back to, we, we, we went to the homes of quite a few ambassadors, um, U.S. ambassadors, several, several of them changed post while we were there in Tajikistan. And so we got to go to the homes of these ambassadors. Once in a while, they would throw a party or have a Fourth of July thing or something and, or have a meeting. Um, and and we, would, we would go be face-to-face with these U.S. ambassadors and who were representing the United States in Tajikistan, of all places, and uh, and I, I as I as I think about ambassadors and and what they are there to do, and how that applies to our lives as ambassadors with a message, we're we're ambassadors for Christ. Um, there are some things that that I that I think are really characteristic of hopeful hopeful ambassador or or successful ambassador ambassadors. Ambassadors who are successful um, are characterized by hope and optimism. So they are, they are people who, 
And that is a big challenge in some of these countries, especially developing countries where you see everything's broken. How are we going to fix this? What can I even contribute to this mess? Right? But, they, but the best ones, the best ambassadors were hopeful and optimistic. Do we bring that into our relationships, hope and optimism, into people's, as we engage with people and look into their futures to, to believe with them for the best? So hope and optimism. Uh, best ambassadors represent rather than coming with their own agendas. They represent. So in that case, they represent the United States and the country of Tajikistan. They don't come with their own agenda. That would be foolish. That would look foolish. That would not give them an, an audience at all. They would have no credibility. But we, and in the same way, we come representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we don't come with our own agendas. We come with his agenda for people's lives um, and represent him. And as we do that, um, we'll find that God can use us as his ambassadors. The best ambassadors are resourceful. They contribute something. So they're ones that are always looking out for something they can contribute, some resource that they could offer. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, the United States, of course, in Tajikistan, they wanted everything. Oh, you're from the United States. You have all these resources. Give, give, give. Well, the best, you can do more harm than good with, with too many resources, right? Um, we've seen that happen. And um, so, so they were wise as well. They came with resources, but they came with wisdom. And God appoints us as his ambassadors resourceful and wise. He wants to give us wisdom and resources. Amen? To bring to the table, to bring to our relationships, to contribute something. And the best ambassadors, number four here, are, are solution-focused. They come with answers. <clears throat> we can come into someone's life and say everything that's wrong, right? That's easy to do. This is wrong, that is wrong, you're not doing this right, da-da-da-da-da. What does that contribute. Obviously, not a whole lot, right? It'll most likely just break them more discouraged and bring them down. But if we're solution-focused as Christ's ambassadors, we come with a solution. We've got the, we got the greatest answer. Sometimes it's kind of a rabbit trail. It's kind of a lot, takes a lot of twists and turns to get to the answer as people are journeying toward their relationship with Christ. But we have the answer. We can, we can know that's, we can come into that relationship with confidence because we have the answer that is the answer for people's lives. We can be solution-focused with confidence because he's imparted his Holy Spirit in us. He's given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit. And he's given us the power. So, ministry with vision. What difference does he make in your life? What difference has Christ made in your life? Think of the dif difference that Christ can make in lives and let that vision motivate you to represent him well. Paul had a vision. He said, Christ's love compels me. Christ's love compels me. I'm convinced there's no, there's no other way but him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And I've died. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I'm compelled by that love, and I have a vision for others to be transformed by that love. 
as we get ready to pray, and, and I'd love to, if you guys could come up and we'll, we'll, um, we'll have another song in closing and maybe some time at the altar here. Christ has gone to such incredible extremes to communicate his love. His love is amazing. Listen to this from the message. This is the same, the same passage. <clears throat> it's the same passage in 2 Corinthians, but from the message. And I'm not going to read it all, but just this, these few sentences here. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center, Paul says. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. And because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what, by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong. As you know, we certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside and we see and what we see is that anyone united with this Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. I love that. Fresh start, created new. New creatures in Christ. That's the vision that God wants to give us for lives. Think of the most, where you are on that scale. Go back to where you are on that scale. And think of the most seemingly hopeless situation, relationship, that you can think of. Can Christ be Lord of that situation? He is Lord of that situation. Can he change? Can he transform? Can he move? Can he work? Yes, he can. We no longer view it from a worldly perspective. We look with eyes of faith and believe God.